Thank you, worship team. Appreciate the theme, faith, love, and endurance. Appreciate that, and especially the great hymns of the faith that we've sung this now, and just wonderful truths, and uh, that encourage that have uh, encouraged many uh, saints throughout the ages, and are still encouraging the saints today. So it's wonderful. Just uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> boy. Standing up here, I gotta hold the pulpit a little bit. I feel like I'm I'm short an hour of sleep or something. Uh, so, but it is encouraging to have you all here worshiping the Lord with us this day. Uh, um, so, I, uh, we will all pray and depend upon the Lord a little bit more for this morning as I preach and as you hear the word, uh, recognizing that we we always need God's help to uh, hear God's word. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the Book of Titus. Book of Titus. And we'll just be looking at one verse this morning, one verse, and that's uh, in verse 2 of chapter 2. Uh, again, uh, I think I'll, I'll read a little bit, give the whole passage, give us a little context for this passage. Title for our sermon this morning is Sound Doctrine for Older Men. Sound Doctrine for Older Men. So it's kind of a, it's a continuation of what we looked at last week the importance of speaking for Titus to speak sound doctrine, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And uh, we see here in verse 2 that he begins to address older men. So let me read just a couple verses here in uh, chapter 2 to give us a little context. I think I'll, I'll read it through verse, uh, verse, I'll read through verse 15 again just to remind us. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's give thanks one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for this church body that together we might look to you as one. Speak to us, Father, from your word this morning. Speak not only just to our 
older men among us for whom we give thanks, Lord. But speak to all of us that for those of us who are young men, we would strive to be such older men. For those of us that know men in our lives, that we'd appreciate them, we'd pray for them, that we'd encourage them as they conduct themselves in a manner befitting of sound doctrine that we hold to. We thank you for the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ, for he is the one in whom we live, in whom we strive to conduct ourselves sensibly, righteously, and godly in this age. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start a little bit with a, a passage in Philemon. Philemon. In Philemon, chapter, no chapter, it's all one, one book, so uh, one little short chapter of a book. In verse Philemon, verse 8 and 9, we see that it's a, a words that Paul gives to, uh, to Philemon. And he, you know, in the context of those of you who are familiar with Philemon, he's sending back Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, who had basically gone to Rome, ministered to Paul, encouraged him, and, and, but Paul knew that he was a runaway slave. He was a, in, in basically a, uh, uh, someone who uh, was still legally uh, belonged to, uh, to Philemon. And so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, who was in the city of Colossae, and uh, uh, he encourages, along with uh, uh, sending back Philemon, he writes this letter encouraging Philemon to basically forgive Onesimus. You see, bring a runaway slave. That's, the penalty could have been death or any other, any penalty that the master wished. But he encourages him, and is, he's going to ask him to not only forgive Onesimus and not just welcome him back as a bondservant, as a slave, but he encourages him to welcome him back as a brother in the Lord to see Onesimus, even though legally in their society they might have a master-slave relationship, but to see him not just as a slave, not just as a bondservant, but as his brother in the Lord. And that's uh, to see him as one who's family. And so we see here just these, verse 8 and 9, just these words, and it'll lead into our sermon this morning. He says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So all that I just kind of explained. Paul says that he could command him if he wishes. Verse 9, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul does here is that he does not command, though he has apostolic authority, he can say, I command you, Philemon. And Philemon has to, ought to, must obey the apostle Paul who is, uh, had taught him, who had taught him the word of God. But Paul says this, I appeal to love, to love. Your love for me, your love for me, and uh, presumably also love for God. But your love for me as Paul, and who am I? I'm Paul. I'm an old man, and I'm a prisoner for Christ. I think uh, we can understand the fact that he's a prisoner for Christ. So, oh, he's sacrificed for Christ. He's, oh, he's, he's made these sacrifices. He's in a difficult situation. So, oh, uh, because of what Onesimus has done for Paul, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I would forgive him. But Paul adds this phrase, I'm Paul an old man. I never really thought about it until today, I'll tell you the truth, when I read this. I said, Why does Paul appeal to that he is an old man? Is it just is it being descriptive? He said, oh, I got a few extra words in my title. I'm just going to add, I'm an old man. 
And as Paul said, I'm Paul, a, a Roman citizen. I'm Paul, a, a Jew. I'm Paul, any number of things. But he says, an own man. Well, this is indicative, basically, of something that we find true in that culture than in that day, is that there was a great reverence and respect for someone who is an old man. And that's something that's kind of rare, I think, uh, in our more modern-day American culture. We don't tend to have that similar kind of respect for older men and as well as older women. In our days, our media will uh, sometimes portray old men as being uh, maybe uh, outdated. They, they don't know. They're kind of eccentric. They're, they're kind of weird. They, uh, they just, uh, they don't, they don't, they're ignorant of technology. And so, uh, you know, they're not people that you look to for wisdom. Uh, oftentimes, movies are all, our, our modern movies, they're all about young people, right? You know, like, man, the heroes, they get younger and younger. Anyways, uh, it's always teens saving the world, you know, so that. Uh, but that's just what sells. Uh, the old are, tend not to be respected nor looked to for advice, especially if the older people in our lives, especially if they're our parents, we say, oh, no, I, <laughs> I don't want to hear from them. Or maybe that's just me, but I think that's true of all of us, though. Well, it was not the case in biblical times. In New Testament days, we've already mentioned that older people, and Paul, as Paul appeals to himself as an old man, commanded respect. Being old commanded respect before. And I think some of us who are maybe, I think, in various, some of our Asian cultures have that kind of sense of respect. But I think for mo if those of us that grew up in our present-day American culture, we sort of forget that. But this, uh, our, that, that is, this is very much reflected in biblical culture. The church needs to have a respect uh, for older men and older women because they have a very important role within the body, within the body of Christ. A lot of times, it's always, it's always uh, uh, sometimes when we're young, we think we, we don't need the older people. Sometimes we think we, we oh, well, you know, we would just, uh, uh, they, the old people, they're just kind of old, stodgy. They kind of just always about their traditions. They're always about making sure we do things by the book. Uh, they're just kind of, oh, they really hold us back. If only we just had a group of young people, we would really just explode. We would just really be able to do things the way we want. And it would just be really cool. And it would be like happening. And we would be like have wood panels on our ba in the back of our uh, worship hall. And, oh, wait, we do already. Uh, so we would just be that kind of a church. But we must not forget there is a great, uh, there's importance in, in having older uh, men, older women. Particularly our text this morning, focus on older men. The older men have, who have walked with the Lord over the greater part of their lives. Men who have learned sound doctrine. Men who are examples of Christ-like godliness to us. Here in Titus chapter 2, Paul exhorts Titus to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. That's the kind of the overarching theme of this, of this chapter. Speak the things fitting for sound doctrine. And what are those things fitting for sound doctrine? Verses 2 through 14 detail for us. Sound doctrine is designed, basically, to produce spiritual health in the lives of those who hear it. And then uh, from verses 2 through 10, we then learn how, as Paul addresses five different groups of people in the church, the kind of conduct that is befitting of sound doctrine. He begins here and with older men. He writes in verse 2, older men are to be, 
And when we come to this passage, uh, I'm going to spend the whole sermon on verse 2. So uh, you're going to think, wow, uh, we're going to go a little bit in depth today. So I, before we look in any further to the attributes of older men, I want to ask two questions. First of all, we, when we come to this, we should ask ourselves, what is meant by an older man? And because I, I, I particularly want to know, is, is an older, am I at my age, am, am I an older man? Is it, you know, is it, what is the age limit break where you become an older man? Although this word older man is related, first of all, to the word elder. We saw it in Titus chapter 1. The Chris, uh, it's actually, they're very similar words, but they have different, uh, different, slightly different meanings. Elder referring to the office, even though it does refer to an older man, but primarily the office of, of an overseer, of someone who shepherds the flock of God. Here, an older man refers just primarily to the one man's age, that he is an older man. So there is an age then that this older man is, is kind of referring to. It's, but to identify that age is kind of difficult. Do we follow uh, many of the different, uh, the Greek culture that day, the, the Jewish culture that day? Uh, there is no consensus even among, all, among the Greek and Jewish authors, writers, Numbers that have been presented have been uh, for older men are, are age 40 or age 47, age 50, as well as age 60. And all these are possibilities. These are all, at least in the, in the culture that day, would have been, by different people's uh, definitions, would have classified themselves as older men. Uh, it's also just possible that Paul's using older men here in, in a relative sense, just that it's relative to younger men. So there are some of you who are younger, and there are some of you who are older. In the congregation, you kind of note that there are just some younger men, some older men. But if we take the Old Testament Levitical distinction, uh, which is found in Leviticus 27.7, uh, the, the age, in a sense, when you cut off for older men would be age 60. And so I'll just probably, just to be kind of safe and kind of follow the biblical pattern, I think, I'll take 60. That's not bad. That means I'm a younger man, see. <laughs> but however, before those of us that are under 60, and those of us men start thinking, okay, this, this is for older men. Okay, I'll kick back now. This is for those, those, those other guys. This is for my dads and my grandfather. Uh, this is not for me. Remember, though, younger men, you eventually will be an older man. You eventually will be an older man. This is what we, as old, younger men particularly, will, ought to become in due time. These are things we should strive for in our lives. But, however, as we look at this verse, we will then simply realize that these are things that we, as we look at, these are to characterize old men, older men particularly, but should be something that we all, whether younger men or older and younger women too, should strive for. Second question I want to ask as I look at this phrase, are older men are to be? That are the qualities that are that are that follow are they commanded of us are they exhorted of us or are they simply a description of the kind of men uh the what older men are to be or are like and <clears throat> now uh first of all it's not a command there are no imperatives and uh, verbs in this passage if you make a command then you have to imply it from somewhere else and uh i don't see any really clear uh argument for that so uh, this is not a command but in the context of this passage, in verse, uh, later on in verse 4, there's the word encourage. Older women encourage the younger women. Uh, even in verse 6, later on we see uh, Paul telling Titus to, to, ur uh, to urge the uh, uh, young men. 
urge the young men that we see those verbs there, that therefore I would uh, believe that this, the older men and older women don't have the verbs encourage or ur- urge or exhort, that these are meant to be exhortations. They're meant to be encouragements, uh, not to be necessarily just commanded, uh, but to be just reminders and say, may they spur you on to be these things. What follows then is what older men should do. This passage is about what older men should do. So if you're an older man here, this is what uh, you should be. Uh, As older men who have been instructed in sound doctrine uh, through all your lives, as you've learned God's word, as you've walked with the Lord, as you've gone through the hills and, and the valleys of life, as we've applied and depended upon our Savior, as we've grown and realized what a great God we've served. And, uh, these are the qualities that God has manifested in your life. Do those things. These are the things that God shapes you into. He makes you through the trials of your life. And, uh, uh, you know, as I think about older men, as I preach older men, I, uh, it's kind of odd as I come at, I've been prepared to kind of just <clears throat> come and just proclaim a message and exhort our older men strongly and harshly. First uh, Timothy 5, verse 1 and 2 came, kept coming to me. Say, uh, uh, do not rebuke the, an older man harshly or strongly, but speak to them as, as a father. And so, uh, older men, even, I hope that you won't feel like, hey, I'm <clears throat> pH has come down on you. Really, I only have great respect for those uh, older men here. And that uh, if I speak these words, may they just simply be God's words and encouragement to you. And may they, <clears throat> may, they, uh, may they encourage you as you see what God is doing in your life. So we look then as a simple outline for our passage this morning. Is we look at four godly qualities of older men that befit sound doctrine. These are the qualities of older men that are fitting, that come out of the sound doctrine that you hold to. First of all, we find in verse, uh, well, it's all in verse 2. Older men are to be temperate, a temperate. There's an exhortation here to sobriety, sobriety. The ESV translates this as sober-minded. And even when they translate sober-minded, there's a, sometimes when, in, in all translations, they, when they translate, they, there's always inevitable a little bit of interpretation that goes. When you translate it as sober-minded, the emphasis there is that you're interpreting it as not sobriety in a literal sense, but a, a sobriety of the mind. But I, I think that's wrong. I think that's not the, I don't think that's the, in the initial immediate intention. I think this is a really an exhortation to sobriety, that you would not be, that you would not be just sober in your mind. You'd be sober in life, sober in your use of drink, alcohol, which was a very common drink in those days. This word here that's uh, translates temperate <clears throat> is used two other times in the New Testament, both in 1 Timothy once of elders in 1 Timothy 3.2, and the other of deaconesses in 1 Timothy 3.11. So this characteristic of sobriety isn't just for older men, but it's for men and women of all ages. The Greek word literally means free from intoxicants, free from being intoxicated. It basically describes someone who does not get drunk. That's what, that's, that's important, is that considering, and, and why I believe it's, 
literally, it's a literal sobriety, is considering the next statement, the parallel statement to, of older women, that they are not to be given to much wine. And that's a literal statement. That's not talking about sober-mindedness. That's talking about that you don't, don't get drunk with wine. And so here is the older man, the parallel, I believe, it, it is in sim- has a similar intent in mind. That there's a literal sense that, we, that the older man is one who is, who is free from alcoholism, from drunkenness, but is, has, has a life of sobriety. And you kind of wonder, wow, um, why is that important? <laughs> why is sobriety important? Well, in the Proverbs, we learn the reason why sobriety is important. We learn that a life of wisdom and righteousness avoids drunkenness. Proverbs, so when we take a look, let's take a little survey, because every once in a while we've got to do this, you know. Uh, <coughs> we who are pretty, we live here in the, not too far from a pretty good wine country. And so all of us probably, well, not all of us, but a good number here is probably partake of alcohol, just as they did in, in Jesus' days. But as you do that, there's always a temptation with alcohol is to drink too much, consume too much, because it is one of those things that are pleasurable and then can lead to drunkenness. And so there's lots of warnings in the scriptures, and there's warnings, and I want to warn for us even, the dangers of drunkenness. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. See, we all know, I mean, I don't know if you know, but we can just look at the news. How many times, well, it was an uh, alcohol-infused uh, fight or a- activity. Or they, they got in a fight because they were drinking. So often, wine makes us into mockers, makes us into brawlers. And if you, you, know, if you don't believe me, just ask me. I can attest to it. I've been a mocker. I've been a brawler. Because it, and when, I, when I was younger and drunk with my friends, we'd go around, we'd look for fights. That's just what people do. That's, it's easy. Now, that's, that's not what wine makes you, but wine, in, you know, alcohol, as you know, basically causes our inhibitions to come down. And so our flesh, we can't control our flesh as easily. And what is in our flesh comes out. Things that we want to do. We want to mock others. want to fight with others. Not only does wine make us a mocker, make us a brawler, but wine also can affect us financially. Proverbs 21, 17, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich, right? That's a wow. So you want to get rich? Don't love wine. Don't love alcohol. Let's face it, wine and other alcoholic beverages, they're not as cheap as soda, okay? They're not as cheap as water. They cost money. You know, they cost money. So, but if you like these things, uh, it's going to... And you, and you get consumed by it, just like drug addicts, drunkards will just spend all their money on getting drunk and wanting more and more. In the book of Proverbs, perhaps there's no passage that speaks so loudly about the dangers of, of, of alcoholism or drunkenness than Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 35. And I'm just going to put it up there. You can kind of just write it down and read it at some point on your own. But I just want to read the last few verses of it. Uh, uh, this describes those who linger over wine, but basically people who like to get drunk all the time. Your, verse 33 30 to 35. Your eyes will see strange things. Okay, that's, that's exactly what happens. Your mind will utter perverse things. That is exactly what happens. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. This is a wonderful picture. <laughs> Anybody ever try lying down in the middle of the sea? Yeah, you can. 
or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. The mast of a ship, right? It's a tall mast. It's way up high, but you want to lie there on the middle of the sea? No, you're going to fall off. You feel feel like you lose control. In verse 35, listen to this. They struck me, but but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. This person's completely confused. He's so confused. He's asked, when shall I wake? I will seek another drink. This is what alcohol does to those of us who have consumed by it. We become so confused in life. We're so confused that we just, we go and get another drink. But it's actually drunkenness that makes us confused. Alcohol and drunkenness causes emotional, social, uh, physical problems. It leaves you disoriented, confused. It financially affects you. It's alluring. But in the end, it's devastating. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to abstain from wine. But I think the Proverbs make clear that if you're going to partake in drink of wine, you need to be warned. You must watch out and be careful. Proverbs 31, verse 4 to 5, in fact, um, tells us that it reveals to us that it's not even that, that wine is to be warned for all. But it's especially a warning to not get drunk for those who are leaders. Proverbs 31, verse 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. You would think kings would be the first one to be drinking wine, right? Because they got all sorts of wealth. They got all sorts, uh, you know, of money on hands. They could probably get the best wines and the best drink, the strong drinks of hand. But Proverbs says, no, this, uh, to King Lemuel, it's not, no, it's not for you. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. A warning here for those who are rulers, those who are leaders, to not get drunk, not to be given to, to strong drink. Because you who rule, you who lead, need a clear head so that you will not be impaired in your decisions and the directions that you, that you give in life, in your position as a leader. In the New Testament, when we arrive in the New Testament, there's not this, this great bulk of, uh, of passage in the Scripture that's warned against drinking. There's just one really key verse, but it's a pretty good verse, and that's Ephesians 5.18, where Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, that's rebellion, but be filled with the Spirit. We learn then that the Scripture wants us to be people of God who are not basically controlled or are filled and dwell uh, by alcohol, by our fleshly desires, but to be controlled and indwelled and filled with the Spirit of God. For older men who are looked upon as leaders in our homes and in the church, it's important for us, for you, to not be controlled by wine or other pursuits of pleasure. You must be controlled by the pursuit of God's pleasure and be controlled by the Spirit. And as you hold the sound sound doctrine of Jesus Christ, then your life will be marked by temperance, by sobriety. So that you can be an effective leader for Christ's church. Secondly, we move on. We'll spend, we'll spend quite a bit of time there, but I want to move on to the other points. Secondly, older men here are described as being, to, are to be dignified. They're to be dignified men. And that's an exhortation to seriousness. This word is used three other times in the New Testament. It's used in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 and 11 of deacons and deaconesses respectively. 
So again, this word is not just limited to older men, but it's, it's expected of younger men and younger women uh, 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 as well, presuming that's what deacons and deaconess are, tend to be. But the, only, the other place that this word is used is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8, and I want to just put that up for us. Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. <clears throat> Our word here that's for dignified is this word that's translated here as honorable, honorable. That we see that as Christians, we are all called to, to dwell upon. Our minds are to think about the things that are honorable, that are dignified. So it's not just something that are, is expected of, of older men, but it's something that as we are expected as believers to think about and hopefully live in our lives. The Greek word here, basically, were, what does it mean then to be dignified, to be honorable? It means to live a life that which is worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. Sometimes it's just simply translated as a serious life. That they are, <clears throat> they live life seriously. It is a life that is lived before God and the people that elicits the response of, the response of respect of others. When others look at your life, the way you live, do they respect that life that you live? Is it what they call it an honorable life? One of the things that I realize as I grow a little bit older, that as particularly as a man, it means that life, life is a, a <clears throat> life uh, as we grow older has increasing responsibility. As we grow older, we're responsible for more people in our lives. When we're young men, we all we had to worry about was ourselves. We didn't have to do anything. Just happy go lucky. And just kind of ding, 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 you know, whatever I feel like I want to do. And then we got married. And I realized, wow, I've got a, a wife. I have a responsibility to love as Christ loved the church. And then God gives us children. And I realized, oh, I need to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we grow a little older, we realize that we have responsibility for our parents. We must take care of them as they're in their old age. It's my job, my task. A little bit later, we find the, the blessing of being responsible for our children's children, our grandchildren. That's just in our family. But we find that increasing responsibility grows not only in, in our homes, but in our workplaces and in our churches. We have increasing, not only responsibility of people, but respons increasing responsibility of of ministry charges, ministry tasks. But what happens for us young men is that as we this life increases responsibility, we, those of us that live undisciplined and irresponsible lives quickly learn that I can't keep living like that. I can't keep living like this or my life is going to fall apart. I need to take life's responsibilities more seriously. For the way I live my life impacts more than just myself. It impacts others around me. And the others around me especially are the ones that I love. If I love them, I will live my life more seriously. 
to realize this, this uh, man who, as we grow older, we realize that our life is, is either a blessing or a curse, right? We realize that we're, we're either blessing people in our lives or we're, we're a curse upon their lives. We're a burden upon their lives, right, as human beings. Blessing or burden. Are we a blessing or are we a burden upon those around us? That's why you look around at our older men here. The majority, of, and I think probably all of them, are pretty serious men. They never busting out jokes except when they have their hair. You're kind of surprised when you, you somebody went to the shepherd's conference and they're like, hey, they're kind of funny. But in church, they're like, how come they're all serious? That's because they know life. They know life. They're serious and they're responsible. And such a life is a dignified life, an honorable life. It's a, at first, we kind of don't misunderstand older men. Sometimes we misunderstand older men. We think they're just boring. But they're kind of like, oh, they're, you know, just kind of stodgy. It's because they've learned responsibility. As a father of young children, I now have a newfound awe and respect of our older men in the church. Let's face it, brothers, you older men. I've been with you for 15 years, and I've seen your flaws. You've seen my flaws, haven't you? But I've seen you raise up your children. I've seen some of you raising up your children's children to love the Lord, to love the Lord your God. Uh, you may not have served as much as you'd like in the church. You may have not have made as much money in your career, climbed up the ladder as you wished. You may not have grown in your knowledge or understanding of the scriptures as you had hoped. But I tell you, older man, when I watch your children walk in the truth, it caused me to be in awe. Because I realize what a difficult near impossible task it is to raise children to love the Lord our God. We realize in our humanity we are, uh, we are, we are ultimately helpless to even bring about the salvation of our kids. But we are still called to do our best to exemplify Christ, to teach them Christ, and to pray for their salvation. I have great respect for our older men here because somewhere, somehow, you lived a life that taught your children the need for Christ. Your life is worthy of respect because you have sacrificed and served your families. And in that, you have served this family. Thank you for living dignified lives, serious. Well, we move on. Our third attribute is the attribute that all older men who hold to sound doctrine are called to be sensible. Sensible. Men, that is an exhortation to basically self-control. The ESV actually translated this as self-controlled. And I like that translation. I think it reflects it well. This is actually a key word in the pastoral epistle, in the pastoral epistles. Of the ten times, in fact, of the ten times that this word, this uh, it's called a word group, that is, the adjectives, the verbs, the noun forms of this verb, of this word. They appear ten times in the pastoral epistles out of 16 times that's ever used in the New Testament. So it's a key word in the pastoral epistles. But of the, amazingly, what's just fascinating to me is this, that of the ten times it's used in the pastoral epistles, the three books, five of those times are used right here in this chapter alone. So this word sensible or self-control is, is a key word in this chapter it's not, just called to, it's not just a calling to older men, but it's a calling to all people. 
all whether you're old, you're young, whether you're a man, you're a female, whether you're uh, free or you're a slave, you're called to be sensible, to be self-controlled. The word describes one who shows the, the proper restraint in all things, basically possessing self-control in, in one's thought and judgment. It's a self-control that leads to a behavior that's appropriate to each situation. In fact, this is such an important word that twice in 1 Timothy 3.2, in Titus 1.8, it's, it's used in, in the requirements for elders. An elder has to be a sensible, self-controlled man. He's a sensible man is one who is disciplined and ordered in his priority. He knows what's important, and so he prioritizes life. He doesn't just do or say whatever comes to mind or whatever he wants, whatever on whim, but his actions and words are guided always by godly principles, by godly uh, sensible thinking and thought. Whether you are an older man or an older woman, a younger woman or a younger man, we are all called to live sensible lives because of the sound doctrine that we hold to. Verse 12 is a key verse because in verse 12 we learn then that what the motivation for why we ought to live sensible lives. And we read Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And so when you see that, you know this is talking about Jesus. The reason why we are called to live sensible lives is because of Jesus. That's kind of profound, huh? Jesus, because of Jesus, I'm called to live a sensible life. You know, we don't think about this too often. Because of Jesus, I want to live a holy life. Because of Jesus, I want to live a loving life. Because of Jesus, I want to live a righteous life. No, but here Paul says... Because of Jesus, we ought, ought to live sensible lives, self-controlled lives. We don't give much attention to this. But this is an important characteristic of all Christians, all who follow Christ. Verse 12. The grace of God is appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. A sensible lifestyle then here is, is not going to be characterized by ungodliness and worldly desires. You're not going to be living your life just doing the things that, that are worldly or ungodly. Instead of being controlled by one's desires, you will be controlled by the desires of God. Control your desires. And the truth is, we all have desires and passions, don't we? You know, I, I'm a spring training coming up, so I desire a World Series for the Mariners, you know? I can desire that, right? I desire that. You know, I, we all have desires and passions. I might like Christian concerts, but if I spend all my money and time attending every Christian concert in the Bay Area, I will not be living very sensibly, will I? At least you won't think I'm sensible. We all know, we all have big sports team fans here. We all like sports. But if I start going around buying all the latest Seattle Mariners clothing, memorabilia, wearing it every Sunday, hanging out in front of you guys, then I start attending all their games, all, not just the ones in Seattle, but the ones all across the country, you'll say to me, Pastor Henry, you are not living a very sensible life. 
you have a responsibility to your wife and your children, responsibility to this church. You can't just ditch us every Sunday when the Mariners are playing. No, the Giants aren't going to hang, right? No, not them either. Not them. No, that would not be sensible either. You know, it's always hard to tell if we're living sensible lives. Sometimes we're blinded to the fact of, because we all have desires. We all think want things, right? How do I live my life so that I don't, I'm not wanting the things that are worldly and, and uh, that are sinful? When we say worldly, we're talking about sinful worldliness. I just ask the people who know you. Uh, it's sometimes hard. I, I hate to ask my wife, you know, what she thinks about something or my sermon on Sunday morning. She'll be truthful and honest. Uh, but you ask your spouses, you ask people who know you, people who love you, people around you, and they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you the truth. Ask them. First of all, what, they know you. They know what you're passionate about. They know your desires. And ask them, am I living sensibly? You know, for a long time when I was a young man, I loved playing video games. You know, my wife would come and sometimes tell me, hey, are you playing a little bit too much? You know, but after like the hundredth time she says that, I think it finally sunk in my head that, I'm not living very sensibly about this. It's obviously it is consuming me, you know, my free time. And I'm like, man, it's not a good use of my time. Thank God, by the grace of God, I repented of that. And I've been free from video games for a while now. <laughs> no, you can still play. Just, uh, but it's sensible, if you would. What controls you, brothers, older men? What are your desires? Because desires, be careful, the desires that we have can control you, but we need to control our desires. The church needs sensible men who live sensible lives that we can imitate. When we think about our older men in our, in, in our lives, what do they pursue? What are their passions? And I hope that we will see that the things that they pursue, the things that they're passionate about are the things that are fitting of sound doctrine. The things that reflect a life that's a, the knowledge of the doctrines of Christ. Well, we end <clears throat> with one final uh, quality of godly men who, are, who, are, <clears throat> who, are, who would know sound doctrine. And that is that such men are sound. They are sound. Uh, this is an exhortation to soundness. <clears throat> he said that this soundness is to be in faith, in love, and in perseverance. In all, basically, that's basically, it just describes all areas of the man's life. Soundness is to be evident. Now, this word soundness is the same word that we saw in verse 1 for sound doctrine. Last week we learned that this means healthiness. So, therefore, this man is healthy not only in his doctrine, but he's healthy in his faith, in love, and in perseverance. Healthy doctrine causes its hearers to be spiritually healthy in these areas, in faith, in love, and in perseverance. And this is especially true the longer you feed on sound doctrine, right? That's why we expect older men and as well as older women. Basically, we expect basic Christians who are older Christians, people who walk with the Lord a long time, we expect them to be the most spiritually healthy people in the church body. Don't be deceived by the, the aging physical bodies. You think, oh, they're not spiritual. They are the strongest in this church because of their strength in the Lord, their health, spiritual health. 
we see this health is in three areas of their lives. We see that this older, an older man is to be healthy in his relationship with God, in, in faith. The word faith here is, now, <clears throat> we could translate this as in his faith, that is, in his trust. And that, that is, there's strong evidence for that here. That is, the context seems to, especially when you compare it with love and with endurance, these are the things that he does. There's that uh, subjective kind of faith. But then, <clears throat> when I look at the, when I see here, I find the word, the article before faith, in other places in Scripture, and not just in much, uh, in back, just as uh, recent as Titus chapter 1, verse 13, I believe. Yep, verse 13. So they may, uh, to reprove those, the false teachers severely, so they may be sound in the faith. The phrase is identical. It's an identical phrase. Sound in, in the faith, articular faith. Not, it didn't say sound in faith, but sound in the faith. So... To be sound in the faith means that this man is going to be, the older man is going to be sound in his understanding of the doctrines of God. That he's healthy and that he's not infected or diseased with error or false doctrine. He knows what the sound doctrine in his life. He has a good grasp of it. Not just here, but in the life that he lives. He knows that he believe, he knows what he believes. He lives in accordance with it, and he's able to communicate to others. In fact, he's had to do it all his life, especially as a father. You know, when we come across a man in their sixties, you know, you know, and some of you guys are already there, but who is like super healthy, you know, like someone like Richard Simmons, you know, he's been on the news recently, but you know, you think of Richard Simmons, like that guy's crazy. You know, <clears throat> that guy's crazy. At least when I was younger, I was like, that guy's crazy. How's he? He was much older than me, but he was super healthy. He's, uh, something, I don't know what's going on with him. But anyways, <clears throat> you're impressed because you want to know, man, that guy's 60. He's older than, he's, he's, he's in an older man category, but yet he's healthy. It goes, it's counterintuitive to us. Well, we, we, but we are in awe because there's something about that. The same thing happens when we meet a spiritually healthy older man. We say, whoa. Guy's a godly man. He's he's an older man. He's not on fire like us young twenty somethings, you know. But man, he's got a really steady faith in the Lord, unshaken, unswerved. There's all sorts of trials in life, and yet he stands. You know why? When we see men like that, we see them go through the the trials of life. We see them lose loved ones. We see them go through health issues in their life. And you watch them. Oh, yeah, they're wrestling with it. It's, it's trials, no doubt. No doubt. But then you watch their faith and it stands. They love the Lord. They continue to trust God in the midst of that. And there's something really infectious about that. And when I see men like that, when I see you men like that, it makes me want to be like you. Because so often in time, we, we live our lives, and, and life is hard, right? There's lots of ups, valleys, and, and hills, valleys and hills. And <clears throat> sometimes it really tests our faith. And we wonder, man, we start doubting sometimes. We're encouraged by the, our spiritually healthy older men who have set the example before us. And sometimes they even blow it. Right? Some older men, you know, older men, you know, let's face it, we all blow it in our lives at one time or another. Two things that we're so embarrassed that, that basically 
acknowledge that our sins and guilt before everyone. But even in those, you know, an older man is, who's, who's, who's grounded in sound doctrine is one who is sound in the faith. He's sound in the faith, and that makes him spiritually strong to the midst of trials. He's also sound in his love. And here we see that the, the man, an older man is going to be spiritually healthy in his relationships to others. That is, he, he exercises genuine, divine, godly love towards the people around him. His love is divine and that he sacrifices oneself. He's not all, you know, in a, you know they, it's not a, like a touchy-feely kind of, hey, I hug you, you know, I love you, man, I love you. That's, a, that's just, you know, uh, what we see on television. But you watch their lives sometimes, you see this, uh, you see a man who is committed to seeking the good of others around him, whether it's his immediate family or the believer, the fellow people in his life, his neighbors, his, uh, uh, his fellow co-workers, his He's looking out for their best, always. It is a, it's just kind of something you think about. It It would be a contradiction when a man who has known the love of Christ all his life, yet is unloving towards others. That just, that just ought not to be. And it generally is not for older men who have been grounded in sound doctrine. Thirdly, an older man is to be sound in perseverance. He is healthy in his relationship to serving. I kind of already mentioned this, but uh, that in the circumstances of life, he endures. He is steadfast in it. Though he faces trials, he knows because of his understanding of sound doctrine that those trials are given to him to produce endurance and a spiritual maturity. The sound doctrine undergirds him in all of it. Sound doctrine reminds him in the midst of trials that God is sovereign in control. Sound doctrine reminds him that God is for him, working all things together for his good. Sound doctrine encourages him that trials are, are a test of faith and has, has a goal in mind to produce in him endurance and maturity. Sound doctrine teaches him to ask of God for wisdom in, tr- in the midst of trials because he lacks it. He's humble enough to recognize it. And he will ask of God and ask of God and ask of God. Because God is the one who will give to all generously without reproach. All these and other sound doctrines undergird the older, an older man so that, he is, so that he is sound in perseverance. He won't quit. He won't run away. He abides in Christ because he's sound in his doctrine. And he's sound in perseverance. I got too excited. We conclude then. Older men, those of us who will become older men, let us strive to be godly older men. Men who are characterized by soundness in our life, in our faith, in the faith, in our love, in our perseverance. Let's not be, let's not live up to the stereotype of our world. When I think of old men, you know what movie comes to mind? The title.
title? Yeah, you all know him. Grumpy old men, right? And that's kind of what I think of. Sometimes I think, oh, man, we just get all grumpy as we get to live life. <laughs> but I don't want to be a grumpy old man. Do you? We want to be godly old men. Be serious. Be dignified. Be temperate. Yes. But don't be grumpy. Be godly old men. As I look around the room, I'm thankful for you godly old men. Thank you for setting example for me, for us. That we will learn to walk and live after your example. You've had a huge, you have a huge burden upon your life as men, as older men. Thank God. We thank God for you. For those of us who are not older men yet, let us give thanks for the older men in our lives. Let us pray for them. Until you become one, I think we never, we won't quite grasp the burden that they bear. Pray for them that God will sustain them. That God will sustain them with the sound doctrine that they have learned. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your son, Christ, for the sound doctrine that he has given to us and the sound doctrine that which has been passed on to the older men in our church. We thank you for the older men here. We thank you, Father, how they have manifested a life befitting of sound doctrine. And even as we've looked at these four attributes of older men, we thank you that they are for the most part, are manifest in the lives of the men found here. Lord, I pray that you encourage them. I know, Lord, that, just, uh, that, they, would all, that they would probably acknowledge that they are not perfect, that they fall short. But yet, Lord, we thank you that you're still doing work in them. Help to continue to encourage them to, to continue to be sound in faith, love, and endurance. To continue to, be, to, to pour themselves into and hold on dearly to the sound doctrine which you have entrusted to them in Christ. Father, we pray that they would receive much of your grace and strength to continue to be examples to us. We thank you for these older men. And Lord, we pray for those of us that are younger men here. Father, help us to imitate their example. Help us to strive to be such men. Help us to even now to put these things, these attributes into practice. Help us to be men who are committed to sound doctrine, trusting that your word says that it will produce in us a spiritual healthiness. Help us to grow up, Lord, to live dignified, sensible lives, not, con not characterized by a con being controlled by selfish desires, but that we control ourselves, that we be controlled by your spirit, that we too would be men who are sound in all areas of our lives. Father, thank you for again for this time and your word and pray that you continue to build your church with the sound doctrine that is taught from not only the, this pulpit but from in the classrooms that we, uh, that we have in our Sunday school class, our fellowship groups and the ministry, various ministries of this church. Lord, build your church through the sound doctrine that produces healthiness in the members of this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, you're dismissed. Please exit out uh, to my right, your left. And I'm not Sunday school class because uh, I think Candace Minnish is going to want to come in and, and get started right away.